Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. On this edition of the Yahoo Sports College podcast, it's Overreaction Monday. So we discuss who had the worst weekend in the Big Ten, how the Boise bus broke down, and who is a bigger disappointment in life, Willie Taggart or Chip Kelly, plus other positive and uplifting topics. Hey, if you enjoy our podcast, check out the rest of the growing Yahoo Sports Podcast Network. We have podcasts for NFL fans, MLB fans, fans looking for an edge in fantasy. Just go to Apple Podcasts or the store of your choice and search Yahoo Sports. It's Dan Wetzel joined, as always or most of the time, by Pat Forty and Pete Thamel. Uh, and we are going to try to figure out just how bad the non-Buckeye Big Ten is. Because it was historically bad this weekend. History, I say. For the first time since 1936, this is a great stat. For the first time since 1936, the Big Ten lost seven games to unranked opponents. Now. Back then, the Big Ten only had 10, so that was a bad weekend. (laughs) The poll only had 20, and it was only invented in 1934, and I have no freaking idea how they ever voted on this thing when no one could watch the other teams. (laughs) (laughs) They hadn't invented television. (laughs) (laughs) If you think the AP poll (laughs) stinks right now, imagine... (laughs) Or the 1934 edition. This is a <laughs> what? What was that thing? Oh my goodness! I need I need 2,000 words from Pete Damel this week on on what the hell the 1934 poll. This is why Minnesota can claim like 14 national titles or something. Anyway, <laughs> to recap, Maryland lost to an 0-2 Temple team, 35-14. Rutgers in a game that made yard work seem appealing, got crushed by Kansas. Kansas, 55-14. to Kansas scored 55 in a single game. How about that? Akron defeated Northwestern, which means Nebraska may have been saved by those thunderstorms a few weeks back that canceled their game against Akron because Nebraska lost to Troy. The school, not one dude named Troy. South Florida beat Illinois. That isn't even an upset. Uh, Missouri beat Purdue. That really isn't either. Uh, And then there's the real blow. BYU upsets number six Wisconsin in Madison uh, 24-21, all but dousing 
the Badgers' playoff hopes and all this talk about them getting to number one. Uh, look, Ohio State's still great. They beat TCU. Some other teams have some potential, but uh, this was bad. So I want to do this sort of Us Weekly style, you know, when they have like two movie stars wear the same dress. They, uh, who wore it best? <laughs> I'm going to start with you, Pat. Who wore it worst? Which <laughs> Big Ten team had the worst weekend? You know, I really hate being confined to one because I just want to spray down all of them because they were we so no terrible. Here. But I will say this before I get to my one. Akron had not beaten a Big Ten team since 1894. 18, not 1994, not 1954, 1894, and won, again, won handily against Northwestern team that some people thought was good. But the worst loss, undoubtedly, is Wisconsin, because that's the only team that was worth a darn in the Big Ten West, at least anybody thought, and now it turns out they're not worth a darn either. Uh, it's a complete and total disaster in the Big Ten West. Wisconsin, they get everything. They got five returning starters on the offensive line. They got a Heisman Trophy candidate at running back. They've got a third-year starter at quarterback. They get a cream puff schedule with every uh, non-conference game at home, and they blow the third one to a BYU team that was 4-9 and nine last year and lost last week to California. So Wisconsin, which actually had something to play for, the worst loss, the biggest bust, the biggest choke in a weekend completely filled with Big Ten chokes. Pete, <laughs> top that. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I heard from some sources uh, early this morning that the uh, MAC was trying to annex the Big Ten West <laughs> to level the playing field in uh, in that division. I cannot match Pat's vitriol. Rarely can I match Pat's vitriol on just about anything. I will say that actually the worst loss was Maryland. Obviously, Wisconsin had things to play for, but Maryland actually played in a division of the Big Ten where they were thought to have been competitive this year because of their win against Texas. There was a thought that they had progressed. There was a thought that they could be at the level of Michigan and Michigan State, and they proceeded to go out and not score an offensive touchdown against Temple. They scored on special teams. They scored on defense. They lost 35-14. to 14. They basically got shut out by Temple, which, as we know on this podcast, lost to Villanova and Buffalo. Buffalo is actually not bad this year. In their opening two games, Maryland, a free fall, like for all the bad things that have happened off the field there and all the tumult and all the administrative mess that Maryland is in, football had been the one little shining light, the actual playing of games on the field, and that went completely awry on Saturday. These are two fine candidates, and, and I got to give a shout-out <laughs> to Rutgers uh, on this because the game was so hyped because of the ineptitude of Kansas and Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> you go into that sucker and get your doors blown off. I mean, where do you go from there? You just oh. – I mean, there's nothing. The showdown, the pillow fight in Lawrence, and you lose. <laughs> However, despite, I'm going to give a nod to them, but they are the silver – they can't even win this. That's how bad Rutgers is. They can't even win my who wore it worst. I'm taking the Nebraska Cornhuskers because 
injury at the QB position, general transitional dysfunction. I mean, the Huskers are staring at a very long season. They are 0-2. Now, look, Scott Frost just showed up, did wonders at Central Florida, quality coach. Uh, You presume he is going to get this back to respectability, but Nebraska wants more than respectability. Nebraska, Nebraska fan thinks they're Oklahoma, they're Ohio State, and they're a lot closer to Iowa if, if they're lucky, where you might be pretty good, but that's the ceiling. Uh, a slow start by Frost makes any chance of getting back to national relevance, true national power, that much harder. It's not ruling it out. But I just have always felt since Nebraska joined the Big Ten, they got stability, they got money, but they gave up their identity, they gave up their Texas recruiting ties, they just became another like old football power with a big stadium in the Big Ten, only unlike Penn State and Ohio State and Michigan, there's no in-state recruiting. And I just don't know how they ever get back to what they want to be. Um, I was looking at their Rivals.com recruiting class right now, which is, I think, at 21. Pretty good. It'll probably drop it because they, they're kind of almost full or they got a lot of guys. But there is not one recruit from California, from Texas, or Florida. Uh, that's not being a national program. That's what Nebraska would be. So I feel like the Scott Frost situation uh, could be limited because of this slow start. So that that's my take. What do you think? I think that the danger of where Frost is right now, Dan, and you bring up recruiting, it's it's a good point. There was certainly some momentum. Local boy comes home. You know, he's the, the, the sun-kissed child of the state who's come back to save the program. He brings his entire staff from UCF. Uh, they had recruited pretty well. I, I think two things here. One is letting backup quarterback Tristan Gebbia transfer has really cost them, at least cost them one game, probably two games, quite frankly. Um Basically, he did what Nick Saban wouldn't, and he declared who the starter was going to be, and he left Gebbia a window to transfer and give the kid credit. He went and transferred to Oregon State where he'd go play because if you're a quarterback and you're a commodity in this weird market of collegiate sports, you go take advantage of it. If he had kept it quiet and done the sort of cold-blooded thing that most coaches do, Gebbia surprised them by transferring. And if he had kept it quiet and just let it play out and, and let the first game happen – he would have had a backup quarterback, so he didn't have to start a true freshman walk-on from Tennessee who started in that game. Couldn't really run the ball um, because he's a true freshman walk-on, you know, playing in the Big Ten. And so that takes away a huge facet of Frost's offense, which limited them in that game. So this is a long-winded say to – if things get bad enough and they lose buzz on the recruiting trail, that's really the worry about year one. He inherited an awful roster of a – coach who didn't recruit well to a different style. So there's a lot working against him here, but they need to have a pulse. And right now they don't have a pulse. Pat, what's up with the Cornhuskers as a program? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, they're in terrible shape. Uh, you know, they, their, their talent level had plummeted. They were horribly coached. They were not a tough team last year. Their defense was just atrocious at the end of the year. And so this was going to be a long-term fix no matter what at Nebraska, but still, I you know how it is when there's a new coach, and especially when it's a new coach who's red hot and a low, a, a, a hometown savior type, you know, who had, who had taken the program to great glory, they expect it immediately. And it's not 
realistic uh, at all. Uh, but still, even the even even the unrealistic expectations. I don't think anybody, the most sober-minded fans, looked and said, "Yeah, we're going to start out zero and two, and we're going to lose at home to Troy." Uh, that's that's a bad bad start. Uh, as as Pete alluded to, obviously, and you said the, the quarterback injury plays into it. There's there's some mitigating factors there. Troy won at LSU last year. Neil Brown's a hot coach there, but this this doesn't fit the uh, the heralded arrival of Scott Frost. At you do all. not want to be trying to close recruits to a Nebraska December January when you got four or five wins, like. <laughs> and you got you have to get players from somewhere else. You just have to. You can't. It, it's the powerhouse that never should have been a powerhouse, and so you can't count on anyone. Let me ask you this, Pat, about uh, or Pete about Pat's point about Wisconsin. Do you think Wisconsin is out of the of the playoff hunt, or can they somehow run the table here, win the Big Ten, and still make it at eleven or one with a loss to BYU? I would think they'd be a tricky case because they'd have no good non-conference wins. They did struggle with New Mexico in in, in week two. That game was a dogfight for longer than it should have been. So maybe they don't have great game control. It's a bad, bad CFP joke. Um, (laughs) The uh, I I don't. I mean, look, like if Ohio State won the Big Ten last year, they have a better brand. They had losses to obviously a very good Oklahoma team at home, and then they had a bad loss on the road at Iowa, um, where they really got run out of the, run out of Kinnick, um, and that was what cost them. I guess with one loss, anything could be on the table. If there's like chaos theory, I call it like the Les Miles year, the year Les won the won the BCS title with uh, two losses, including one at Kentucky. Um, in the in the infamous Pat Forty yard, the cat's going to win game, which which keeps coming up on this podcast, probably a little <laughs> too frequently for Pat's taste. Um, so look, the, chaos theory could happen, but I feel like the 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 Big Ten right now, I would say I'm ninety percent sure is Ohio State, Penn State, or bust. Yeah, that was also the year they lost both of those games, LSU, in overtime, and they came up with the marketing pitch: we were undefeated in regulation. <laughs> regular season play yes man the bcs was a, was a trip um all right sticking with the big 10 pat uh you were at ohio state tcu saturday night the buckeyes looked great uh really entertaining game uh wild four minutes at ohio state seized it um I, I talk a little about how they they played but also i did you see urban meyer sat down Exclusive interview with ESPN's Tom Rinaldi on Sunday. Uh, kind of odd interview. Got zero promotion from the network or almost none. It looked like it just came together at the last second. Um, what did you think of the game? What did you think of uh, Urban's comments? Yeah, I'll, uh, I will, I think I'll probably defer the commentary on the commentary to you because you got to see more of that. I was traveling. Uh, but uh, as, as for the game – like I was, I was impressed. I, I was impressed really with both teams. Uh, TCU's good, and they're super well coached, and they had a great game plan, and they figured out you know ways to to be in the game and to have a chance. And then what happened is what happens against sometimes against an Ohio State, against an Alabama, the teams that have the truly superior talent, they make those game breaking plays because they got guys nobody else has. They got Nick Bosa who can blow off the end and come in and strip fumble, strip sack the quarterback, and you recover for a touchdown. And then they've got uh, Draymond Jones, 286-pound uh, 
defensive lineman who can intercept a shovel pass and go 30 yards with it, showing this ridiculous athleticism. Uh, and then you got Paris Campbell, who can catch a three-yard bubble screen and turn it into a 63-yard touchdown. They just got they got game breakers, and uh, that sometimes is a separator between the Ohio States and the good teams like TCU. So, uh, and I was impressed with Ryan Day. The players you could tell I think were really kind of happy for him and fond of his work uh, that he did, and you know he handled that a bad situation well, uh, stepping in as the as the interim coach there, and now it'll be the Urban Meyer show, as you wrote about, and for better or worse, so that, that brings back a lot of heat and light there. And uh, I, the, law, the, the Ohio State fans will be awfully happy to have Urban back, and I think everybody else is going to look and say, hmm, okay, here we go. Pete, did you see the interview on Sunday morning? What did you think? I, uh, I saw what I believe was all of it on my phone. It was like six and a half minutes. And I, I think at this point, Dan, where this thing, where we are in this thing now, six weeks into this saga, my takeaway was this. This thing has been pretty well managed, right? Like everything you're getting is a, I'm assuming now, a well-prepared, lawyered, like, view of what should be said. Does that make sense? We're not getting any raw organic comments from 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 Urban anymore. Everything that's going to be done, especially because he had a few weeks away to, to prepare for this and obviously didn't travel with the team Saturday and Sunday, is going to be prepackaged versions of what should be said as opposed to, to the reality. And that, that was my takeaway from it. I don't think anything he said was groundbreaking in any way. I thought generally Rinaldi did a pretty good job with, with the interview. At, and we, we haven't seen everything yet either. We're, we're obviously taping this on uh, on Sunday afternoon, and there's going to be more on Monday. So I don't if there is some bombshell on Monday, which I doubt ESPN would have held, maybe I don't, I don't want to – I don't feel like we're having a holistic discussion about the interview when we didn't. But that was my sense. It was uh, it was a peek into what they wanted yeah, us I mean, to see. I wrote a column about it. I think Urban wanted his fans and Buckeye fans to know that neither he nor Shelley believe uh, Courtney Smith, and they, they don't they don't buy her story. And that's that's what he was saying. He kept repeating stuff that even Ohio State's report didn't believe. Uh, he keeps kept suggesting that that she and and Zach had both told them that nothing had happened. Uh, he he ex- tried to explain that his that Shelley never told him about these text messages, uh, which the again even the Ohio State report that was designed to protect him didn't believe, and no married person on earth believes that uh, no married man on earth thinks that you're you're employing uh, a guy who's beating up somebody or roughing them up and they don't, your wife doesn't mention it. Uh, Pat, I think you would agree that would be discussed uh, quite quickly in your relationship <laughs> that we brought up. Yeah. Everyone, everyone, no one's buying that. Um, but he, he goes, well, Shelly had a reason. I just can't tell you what that reason is. I mean, he goes to this, like the mystery reason. I mean, man, that's some dirty pool, man. That is a dirty pool. You're just letting, Buckeye fan go, oh, I'm going to fill in the blank on this. And, I mean, that is some some dirty bull. Look, I get it. Ohio State fan does not care. They will stand and cheer. They will love them. The Buckeyes are 3-0. They could win this whole thing. They are awesome. But this is what Ohio State got. I didn't think they should fire Urban Meyer, but you made this deal. And there's Urban just throwing it out there. Victims lying, basically, is what he's saying. Shelly's got a secret reason. I think we all know what that would be. Uh, man, that's that's some tough stuff, right, Pat? 
Yeah, so it's a market difference from the, let's see, I'm trying to think whether it was prepared statement <laughs> two or three from Urban, uh, where, you know, he had compassion for her and wanted to apologize to her, and now we're back to basically, yes, let's just throw the shade out there and let everybody he assume. apologize for the perception that he doesn't care about yeah. domestic abuse, I think it was. It was like, okay, yeah. And even for Ronaldo, it was like, perception? What about the reality or something? I don't know. Didn't really press. Ronaldo asked these great questions, but he doesn't just keep beating the – if you keep hitting that hammer, uh, he'll end up – you know, you got to keep you got to keep attacking the point. But Tom did a, does a good job, and he did embarrass him. I mean, he had some long pauses and, and some really tough uh, theor- theoretic questions and things like that, but – Man, I don't know. We'll see what part two says, and I just think Urban's ready to be emboldened here. Yeah, no, I think you're probably right, and uh, it's interesting. I'm sure part two will be out before Urban actually has a press conference Monday at 11:45, in which you can't really go off script there. I'm sure he will be, you know, prepped for whatever the questions could be and have some answers in his head. But it's not going to be the same as the sit down with uh, Tom Rinaldi, I don't believe. Yeah, we will see. All right, hey, uh, we always say we love anger, we love bitterness, controversy, and revenge, and that includes when it is rightfully directed at us. We take shots at everybody, so we will take the shots back. Gentlemen, LSU 22, Auburn 21, Coach O and the Tigers, huge win, silencing the doubters like us. I offer an apology of sorts to Coach O. You're doing far better than I expected. Uh, I look like an idiot so far. Pete, can he sustain it? Will I continue to look like an idiot? Or is there a way for me to bounce out of this? How, and is how, that an idiot in this specific realm or an idiot generally? Those are two very different questions. <laughs> this is an excellent point. I'm going to go with this realm alone. Uh, I'm never getting out of the other part. Fair enough. Uh Two points on Ed Orgeron. One needs to be noted. We can go back to 1997 when I was like the sports editor of the Daily Orange and Ed Orgeron was Syracuse's defensive line coach. He, we used to request him all the time in like media availability just because like, you know, a bunch of kids from the Northeast had just never heard a human being talk like that. He is, he is, Great he is an amazing character. Uh, I, I have I have an affinity for Coach O because I have known him for uh, this long. I did not think it would work at LSU. It is working so far, but it is also the kind of place where things can go wrong quickly. Uh, this was my takeaway today, and I did not think we'd be saying this uh, this summer as we were uh, gently prodding our Red Bull drinking, Slim Jim eating friend. The road to the national title goes through Baton Rouge this fall in three consecutive games two in october one in november they have georgia mississippi state a bye and then alabama all of those games will have conceivably playoff implications um one of us may have to move to louisiana to actually like cover the the o uprising but that would be you yeah thanks (laughs) i appreciate it those three and then those games are at home tiger stadium tough place to play um now, none of us really think LSU can play on the same field as Alabama. I don't know if anyone can uh, after what we've seen from uh, from the Tide so far this year. But give Coach O credit. Uh, Baton Rouge will be the place to be this fall. Uh, Pat, 
Boise bus got to Stillwater and broke down. Wheels off, radiator smoking, windshield cracking. <laughs> Oklahoma State 44, Boise 21. Uh, Brett Ripon is a good quarterback, really good quarterback. The offense wasn't good enough, was not doing what it had done. Defense couldn't really stop the Cowboys. I thought Boise needed to win authoritatively to be in the playoff discussion. They had lost. They will shoot for a New Year's six-day bowl game or do what they usually do, which is be entertaining. But um, uh, what happened to uh, to your beloved Broncos and how impressive are these Cowboys, which in a wide-open Big 12 kind of feels like it could, could come down to Bedlam. It could come down to Bedlam. I'm not sure it's wide open. I think that might be the beginning and the end of it is Bedlam and <laughs> and those two, you know. Uh, but I, 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 I'm impressed with Oklahoma State. you got to give them credit. I mean, Mason Rudolph was, you know, one of their better quarterbacks they'd ever had. They lose him. They lose a great wide receiver in James Washington. They lost a lot of players. And they just can't keep, you know, they have more guys. It's, it's impressive. I mean, Tyler Cornelius, this – Quarterback jumps in, and he's really good, and, and Justice Hill is there, and they just keep having weapons. And I, I give uh, I, I give Gundy credit both in terms of uh, recruiting and developing and then just the continuity of the way they play. It, it doesn't seem to matter who's in there. It works for them. And their defense has been good, uh, you know, by by Big 12 standards. I mean, they, they held Boise State to 34 rushing yards. Uh, and they, so far this year, they've, they've only, they're only given up 3.98 yards per play, which is really good. Uh, so I, I give them credit for building a consistent program and yeah, go ahead and, uh, and circle that date of, let's see, it is, uh, November 10th, Oklahoma state at Oklahoma. And then just in case West Virginia is still hanging around, Oklahoma state hosts West Virginia the next week, the big 12 their schedule is very backloaded. Everything's going to happen in November in that league. So they're just kind of playing musical chairs, I think, for now and holding, you know, Oklahoma's probably going to hold serve and then we'll get down to brass tacks in November. And then they do the stupid playoff game, even though they got a round robin, right? Right. Yes, they do do the stupid playoff game. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. All right, Florida State dropped uh, to 1-2, and 0-2 oh against FBS competition, getting destroyed by Syracuse. Pete Thamel. No, it was a proud moment. 30 to 7. Uh, there are currently at least seven separate GoFundMe accounts trying to raise money for first year <laughs> coach Willie Taggart's buyout. Uh, if you got 21.3 million laying around, get this done. Probably not going to make it on GoFundMe. Uh, Pete, does Taggart <laughs> make it through the season? Yes, he he definitely makes it through the season. But uh, and, and I wrote this in my ten takeaways column this weekend, Dan. It's a disaster. Like there's there's no sugar coating it. There's no silver lining in this dark dark cloud that's over Florida State football right now. They have no idea what they're doing. They're not playing hard. There was infighting on the team. Uh, DeAndre Francois, the quarterback, was bickering with the offensive line throughout the game. Um, talked to a coach who studied them pretty thoroughly on film uh, on Saturday evening. And his thought was either basically there is no plan or they're not, or there is a plan and the players don't want to play for it because they're just, the lack of effort was the thing that consistently kept coming up. So either you know, Willie Tiger started two and 10 at Western Kentucky, he started two and 10 at, at USF. Um, 
And he was 7-5 and five last year at Oregon. So it's not like he's coming and lit these other jobs uh, on fire. And he's also a career below 500 coach at this point. So he has a roster that was, I would say, mediocre. Um, there are good skill players. There's no offensive line. They are not built to do what he wants to do. But he's doing a very poor job in trying to get them to do what he wants to do. On the field, A and B, there's clearly an issue of some type of motivation, playing hard. The only player who popped on the field for me on, on Saturday, I watched pretty much that whole game, was Brian Burns, a really talented defensive end from, uh, from Fort Lauderdale, who was a monster. He cramped up, he came right back in, he made a ton of plays. But other than that, I, I can't sit here and tell you, and, and I've watched two of their games now, I've had the distinct misfortune of watching eight quarters of this. And I read Pat's Twitter feed from the Sanford game, which made me feel like I was watching it. Yeah. So I, I really think Willie Taggart has to come out sooner than later and declare there's a problem and show some solutions. Pat pointed this out from the Virginia Tech game. On the sideline, he just looks like he's wandering around in his own universe. There's no like going over and trying to fix problems. There's no motive, very little motivation that appears to be there. In the end of the first half against Syracuse, they are first and no, third and ten from the 21 yard line. 12 seconds left, no timeouts. They try to take a shot at the end zone, which down 6 nothing, and having an anemic offense, which pretty much had more penalty yards than yards gained um, in the first half. They finally get a little momentum. They have a shot, and they completely bungle the clock in about as bad of a clock management situation as I've ever seen in major college football. And to me, that just summed up Florida State. They were not ready. They were not coached up. You know, the, the, the game situations you're supposed to practice. They had no idea what they were doing. And the clock just kind of ran out. And no one even really seemed that mad about it. Like, Tiger was kind of mumbling on the headset. But the players, like, it was just sort of this, like, it was almost like they, they, they messed it up and they just went to the locker room. I, I don't know. I did not see a lot of heartbeat from that team, especially not one heartbeat. Pat, this, this team has enraged you uh, this season. <laughs> Briefly, yes. we don't need a full rant. <laughs> Seems like piling on at this point, but what the heck? Yeah, uh, I, I just, they, I've never seen. First of all, I've never seen a Florida State team play anywhere near this badly in my life. Uh, I can't say I followed them in the early seventies, but you know, by the mid seventies, I was, and they. I mean, so we're forty years, and I've never seen one this bad. Three point three seven yards per carry so far. One hundred and twenty first in America. Their offensive line is the worst thing I've ever seen. I mean, it's just horrendous and it starts there it doesn't end there by any stretch but that's the beginning and if you can't block anybody you can't protect your passer you can't open holes in the running game they're just doomed and I I don't I you know when you got a bad offensive line your season's really kind of hamstrung uh there's not a lot of options so uh, you, you know, you can move some guys around. You can change your starting quarterback if you want. Whatever you can, you know, come up with another turnover backpack. Something it doesn't matter. <laughs> I just I think that they if they don't beat Northern Illinois this Saturday, they're going one and eleven. What's in the backpack? That's what I want to know. What is secure the bag, Dan? What's secure in the, the bag. There's something in that backpack. There's something in the. It's like there used to be something buried under that carpet, Baylor. They're hiding something. <laughs> All right. Just 14 first downs, just 270 total yards, just 55 total plays. Chip Kelly's offense at UCLA. That's what I just described. Against Fresno. Uh, I did not expect the Bruins to win the Pac-12 in Kelly's first season, but this is awful. Chip was once an offensive genius. I don't even know how this is possible. 
14 first downs and 270 yards was a first quarter at Oregon. Uh, congrats to Fresno, but UCLA is 0-3, and, and I am wondering, we may discuss this all season, I don't know, is Chip Kelly still like the cutting-edge offensive guru, or did everything he did now the rest of the world's caught up to? I mean, I would have bet the house whoever got him as a coach again was going to win huge, and obviously we're only three games in, but uh, this, I, I don't, I mean, this shows no indication that anything he's doing has any idea what's happening you say i'm just stunned by this thing pete what do you think i'm not stunned dan because i was out at uh i was at a spring practice there in uh i guess it must have been april or may and they were terrible i mean and and walking around kind of chatting with support staff and knowing a few assistant coaches there and stuff there was nobody there who was particularly optimistic about how good they were going to be this year. Um, they, they obviously brought in Wilton Spade. If you, if you follow Chip Kelly at all, Wilton Spade does not exactly fit what, uh, what, what he does. Wilton Spade's a fine quarterback, classic kind of drop back guy who was, you know, decent at Michigan. I, uh, I have not lost faith in Chip Kelly. If this, if this is the answer. And the reason is this, he will lose more games this year at UCLA inheriting this roster from Jim Mora, which by the way, does nothing of what he wants to do and what will look like than he did in four years at Oregon when he had a roster, which did exactly what he wanted to do. They were 46 and seven right now. He's Owen three and he could well be trending towards a three and nine type two and 10 type season. I just don't think you become a bad coach overnight. And, and certainly college football has changed and people have caught up. But also, it's a similar deal to what Scott Frost did at UCF. He went six and six, and then twelve and zero. He had a lot of talent on his roster, so I don't think like the scheme is stale. So I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm betting chip on the uh, on, on the long play here, and uh, and not giving up. If you had been at that practice too, you would have been like, man, these guys stink. All right, I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to give up. Uh, Pat, let's get to our salt, small sample size Heisman winner. Who won the Heisman this week if we only had a one-week Heisman? Okay. Well, here's what we're going with. Uh, Mason Fine, the quarterback of North Texas. He is number four in America in passing yardage. He is uh, racking it up on the ground and through the air. He has – let me see Let me see his total offense numbers here. He's run – for 148 yards, he's thrown for 1,100 yards. Uh, he's doing an awesome job moving North Texas to 3-0, and which included routing Arkansas, absolutely beating down Arkansas. And really the best part of that game, while I'm giving Mason Fine credit, if you saw the fake punt thing that they ran, it was awesome. They had a guy yeah, that basically lulled everybody into thinking he fair caught the punt waited until everybody stood still, and then took off and went 90 yards for a touchdown. That was awesome. It was tremendous and embarrassing for Arkansas. But Mason Fine, I'm, I'm down with Mason Fine. It was like the hidden ball trick, except the ball wasn't hidden. Yeah, um, yeah it was weird. I love how they re- he really sold it for a long time, too. He waited for them to almost really run off the field. Good stuff. Um, I, Mason Fine is a fine choice. I am going to go with Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert, who – quietly in the minds of the NFL is becoming a guy who could be the number one pick in the draft next year. Uh, He is third in the country in 
points responsible for. And quite frankly, if you're a quarterback, you should be responsible for points. And I choose him because this week the Ducks have Stanford in an intriguing litmus test for where Oregon is under Mario Cristobal. So uh, all eyes will be uh, in Eugene this weekend, and uh, I look forward to seeing what Mr. Herbert can do under uh, a little more duress than what he's played so far. All right, I'm I'm taking Texas Tech freshman Alan Bowman. Stat line, uh, they won 63-49 over Houston. Here's the stat line. 43 of 59 passing. I used that arm, son. Uh, for a whopping 605 yards and five touchdowns. 605 yards is the single-game Big 12 record for a freshman. Uh, as a lot of yards. Now, Houston does not know how to tackle anyone. I don't know if they even practice tackling. I don't even know if they have a defensive coordinator. But still, uh, we're going Alan Bowman for uh, for Heisman. So there we go. All right, uh, we are compl- terribly negative on this uh, podcast. So um, we do like to finish up uh, with uh, our say something nice or not. If we just can't get out of the spirit. Uh, quick hit. So, uh, Pete, let's start with you. Can you say something nice about somebody today? I I will say something nice. I was moved, Dan, at the different schools and universities. Colgate comes to mind, Florida, Tennessee, that donated hotel rooms, food, even tickets to uh, displaced folks from the Carolinas who were in the path of, uh, of Hurricane Florence. I thought that was a really nice gesture from a lot of universities. You know, they have these blocks of hotel rooms booked for these games, and then they just gave them away so people could stay there and uh, and ride out the storm. So I give them all credit. And uh, also, just because we can't be totally nice, uh, Larry Fedora from UNC has to be thrilled that that game was canceled and won't be made up <laughs> because UCF would have beat them by half a hundred. And he is on the hottest of hot seats. Carolina has to sit there. I think they'd have to pay $11.9 million to fire him. And, I mean, I, I think UCF's really, really darn good. They obviously, they won 15 straight games. It's not like that's some, like, penetrating analysis. Mackenzie Milton is still my uh, my Heisman ride-or-die guy. I've been, on, I've been on that bandwagon. Hopefully it doesn't crash like Pat's bus did. Um, so, yes, that is my positivity note of the week. Thamo with some snark, hurricane snark. The poor guy's house is probably flooding. And you got to throw some. <laughs> I think Tennessee gave free tickets to hurricane refugees to watch them play UTEP. And I was like, haven't these people suffered enough? I mean, what <laughs> the hell do they want to watch UTEP Tennessee game? Well, and the, uh, the other part of that is clearly there were seats available. Plenty yeah, I would hope, you know. Mm-hmm. All right, Pat, you have anything nice to say this week? Oh, if forced to, uh, I think I can come up with something specifically. Uh, we have been lamenting basically the demise of football in the Northeast for years with good reason because it's been lousy. But, hey, <laughs> look at the standings right now. Undefeated 3-0. and Syracuse just housed Florida State. Undefeated 3-0 and Boston College just won at Wake Forest. Undefeated 3-0 and Buffalo, which is the opposite of the Bills, who are horrible, but the Bulls of the Mid-American <laughs> Conference – are good. They got a six foot seven quarterback who's a really good player. So don't the up Bills. big numbers. The Bills have yeah. one too that tall. Yeah, yes. Well, <laughs> his he's trying to do it against. Who could the have NFL. imagined he stinks? By the way, he stunk at Wyoming. It, it, yeah, no. It was, the Bills had a bad. guy quit at halftime. Yeah. Monte Davis. <laughs> that was awesome. That's like the he was a Ron Zook recruit. That was the first yeah. thing yeah. I thought this, of. Yeah. I would have said that that was going to be my hero. My Heisman was Vontae Davis, <laughs> but. 
Yeah, but no. So I, I say, look, Northeast football, not dead. Congratulations. All right. Well, you definitely didn't hear about the UMass score. They got killed by somebody. I know that. <laughs> of course. FIU. Yeah. That's all they yeah. do. Yeah. Well, that's what we're here for. Uh, all right. I'm going to say something nice about Josh Jacobs running back at Alabama. This this is a positive story. He had six carries for 18 yards against Ole Miss in Saturday's 62-7 to victory. Um, but it was really uh, the time he scored on a four-yard run in the third quarter, and he got up and mocked an old Miss player by doing the land shark, the rebel stupid mascot. <laughs> now I know Colonel Reb needed to go. I'm not defending Colonel Reb. And I know the land shark was a battle cry for the rebel defense like a decade ago. And it was invented by linebacker, uh, Tony Fien, who uh, later passed away. He's like a beloved former player, army vet. That was cool. Okay. Being the land shark defense, like the black shirt defense, that was cool. But when the school created an actual shark, like stole one of Katy Perry's Super Bowl sharks <laughs> and made it the mascot, I went down on the land sharks. So even though, I mean, look, the SEC is like a mess with mascots. Like Alabama is the Crimson Tide, but they have an elephant. I, I, Auburn is the Tigers, but they have a war eagle. That, that makes no sense. <laughs> Those are real animals. The land shark is not a real animal. There is no such thing. You've watched too much Sharknado. So, <laughs> Josh Jacobs, I'm, I think you got a taunting penalty. You are no doubt got a, quote, ass-chewing from Nick Saban on this one. <laughs> and there are all sorts of people down on you for showing up a, a overmatched opponent during a 69-point barrage. But to you, Josh Jacobs, I say, good work, young man. I say something nice about you. All right, that ought to do. It's great how our nice things still get negative. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. <laughs> More negativity to come this week on a, a regular podcast, uh, which should be out Wednesday, plus the race for the case, the end of the week. And uh, please subscribe so you don't miss all of this excitement. And uh, share share on uh, social media all this uh, entertaining stuff. It's free. This is the least you can do. Uh, for Pete and Pat, we'll talk to you next week. Take care, guys.